Good morning. I'm Julie Thatcher, and today's reading is Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with the pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we are grateful for your word. We know that you have a purpose for it this morning, and we pray that we would be submissive to your will and to your purpose. Father, I pray that you would use my words, that you would receive them as worship, that you would receive our response to these words as worship, and may it be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So this week we are continuing our series on adjusting our focus. Uh, For the first three weeks of the semester, we talked about adjusting our focus as it relates to authority. Then we shifted a little bit and talked about adjusting our focus as it relates to truth. And for the next couple weeks, we are talking about adjusting our focus as it relates to grace. And I think that's a really good thing to do because grace is something that operates in the background of everything we do as a church. But it's often in the background. Uh, So bringing it into focus, I think, is a really good and and healthy thing to do. Uh, This week I was reminded of my first kind of ministry experience, vocational ministry experience. I was the pastor of college ministries at a church in Arlington Heights, Illinois, uh, just a west suburb of Chicago. I was finishing up seminary. I was in year three of my MDiv program. And I I was loving the ministry that I was doing, but there was a group of students in this college ministry that I had a hard time relating to. They were the cool kids. I mean, they, they were cool. And they came in every Sunday to the, the college group meeting with this kind of impress me attitude. And they sat there with their arms crossed and their head kind of cocked. And it just had this like, come on, I dare you 
impress me. And again, they were cool. And if you know me, I'm not. Okay? Now, as cool as you think I am, I was only 5% as cool back then. So it, it was a real struggle for me in those you know, 25-year-old, newly-minted pastor uh, in ministry. This week, I felt a little prick in my conscience saying, you know, Dan, you're often one of those kids with the come on, impress me attitude. God was speaking to me in my heart and saying, you... You talk about things like my glory, and you don't fall to your knees. You speak of love as as vast as the ocean, without a tear in your eye. You talk about grace, unmerited favor that rescued you from the fires of hell, and you don't tremble. What does it take to impress you? This morning, I have the Herculean task of impressing you with something that is so ubiquitous in the evangelical world that it's almost treated as mundane. We talk about it so much, maybe we think it's boring, but it's something that should leave us in breathless, heart-racing awe, grace. You say, well, you're just trying to impress this this morning. Yes, I'm just trying to impress you with grace. I think that's what Paul is trying to do in these 12 verses. Impress you with God's grace. These 12 verses, in the Greek, it's one long sentence. 202 words without a period. Kids... Don't do that. (laughs) That's called a run-on sentence in English. But kids, you also know what's happening here, right? You've probably come home from being playing with your friends outside, and you're so excited to tell your parents something, you were just going, verbally, just blah, and your parents say, slow down. Paul's like, no, I'm not slowing down. Here it comes. Drink from this fire hose of praise for God's grace. Paul wants to impress us with the beauty, the majesty of God's grace. And he uses two, I would say, rhetorical devices to do it. First, Paul is trying to show us that the whole Godhead is engaged in lavishing grace upon us. Grace is an attribute of God, not just one person of the Trinity. The Father is gracious, the Son is grace-filled, and the Spirit bestows grace. These verses emphasize the Trinitarian nature of grace. So Paul mentions, focuses on God the Father. God the Father initiates grace. Uh, There is a common character that God the Father is wrathful and vengeful, and God the Son, Jesus, 
is merciful and loving. And the loving, merciful Jesus stepped in between us sinful humanity and God who is angry and placated God. And, and the character just doesn't hold. Because the New Testament speaks often of Jesus' wrath and of God the Father's love, mercy, and grace. Paul starts by highlighting that the Father initiates grace towards us. The Father is the subject of virtually every verb in this paragraph. It is the Father who has blessed us, the Father who is freely giving to us, the Father who chose us and predestined us. And I know a lot of you are hearing those words chosen and predestined, and you're just waiting for it. You're like, okay, now Dan's about ready to unleash his Calvinism on all of us, right? And I'm not going to. It's making me itch a little bit that I'm not going to, but I'm not going to. Just going to say, everyone who submits to Scripture believes in predestination, It's right there. (laughs) We might want to explain it differently, but the language of elect, predestined, chosen, it's all over the place. I could tell you the story. Uh, Last week in his prayer, Deontay used the word predestination and talked about, maybe it was Ephesians 1 in in your mind, Uh, because he talked about being predestined for adoption as sons and beautiful prayer. And my son texts me and he said, wait, did Deontay just agree with predestination? <laughs> now, I didn't get the text till after the service because I don't check my phone during the service. Just saying. Uh, and after the service, I was like, well, Luke, of course he believes in it. It's right there in the Bible. He would just explain it differently. And I said that to Deontay and Deontay's like, of course I believe in it. Now, I'm not a Calvinist. But it's right there. So don't let these words, chosen, predestined, don't let them throw you off or distract you from the main point. The main point is God the Father initiates this outpouring of grace. It's the riches of His grace that He's lavishing on us. And it's extravagant. I got two images for you to maybe help you understand the extravagance of God lavishing his grace on us. This is a pharmacist counting out pills, making sure you get the right dose, but no more, right? And if the right dose of medicine doesn't cure the infection or the problem or the pain, then maybe they'll up the dose, but they don't want to give you too much, just enough. That is absolutely a poor picture of God dispensing grace. When God dispenses grace, it's more like all in. It's not a bet. It's not a wager. But he goes all in. He's lavish. If an ounce of grace would cure the problem, he gives an ocean of grace. He's extravagant in it. Paul says that God's grace is extravagant and purposeful. 
He chose us. He predestined us to be blameless and holy. It's a little bit of a backhanded compliment by Paul. He chose you to be holy and blameless, which if you're reading between the lines means you're not now. It's not what you are. Right now you're unholy and blameworthy, but God in his grace has purposed to make you holy and blameless. All this lavish grace comes from the Father, but comes through the Son. It is the Son that redeems. The Son is the way in which God provides these benefits to us. Go back to the image of going all in. Jesus is God's all in. It's how he lavishes his grace on us. It comes to us through Jesus. In these first few verses, Christ is referenced 15 times. And Paul uses the language in him or in Christ 11 times in these verses. It is in him that God's grace comes to us. It is in him that we have redemption, Paul says. Redemption is this marketplace kind of language, specifically the slave market, where a a captive or a slave could be redeemed. Redeemed and set free by God. One New Testament scholar picks up on this and says it so eloquently. He says, By God's grace, the soul is transferred from serfdom in Satan's slave camp to the circle of God's family and favor. God's grace grants the believer heavenly citizenship and untold privileges. And this grace, this redemption comes through Jesus. When someone was redeemed, a price had to be paid. The price that was paid for our redemption was Christ's own blood. He redeemed us, it says, by his blood. Blood that was spilt on Calvary. God the Father initiates the grace. The Son redeems us by grace. And the Spirit seals and guarantees us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bestowing grace upon us. In verse 3, Paul says that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. It's spiritual not merely, merely because it pertains to our soul, but because it's derived and comes through the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 and 14 Focus specifically on what the Spirit does in grace. He seals us and guarantees our inheritance. He's a seal upon us. He he authenticates us. It's a seal of, of genuineness. We belong to God. And he guarantees our inheritance. He serves as a down payment on our eternal inheritance. So the blessings of the Holy Spirit are given by the Father and come through Jesus Christ. 
the whole Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are engaged in, in blessing us with grace. All of God. But Paul uses a second device to impress us with God's grace. Time. God's grace extends from eternity to eternity. I remember when I was taking tests in high school, the teachers would often admonish us, use the whole time. If you finish early, check and double check your work. Well, God doesn't need to check and double check his work, but is using all time to display his grace. Grace has so much to say that God is using all of time to do it. Paul draws our attention to eternity past and the lavishness of God's grace. In eternity past, God determined to redeem a people for himself. Verse 4 says that before the foundations of the world were laid, he chose us. He chose to love a people who were not yet even created. Pause for a second and think, why did God create? Well, he created the world as a stage for his glory, Calvin said. Another Puritan author said that he created the world as the arena for redemption to be played out. The stage for the divine drama to be played. I'm reading a book in preparation for an ACG class called Jesus on Every Page. And the author directs our meditation towards creation and says, if God was creating as this stage for redemption, play that out in your minds. Why did God create birds? Well, certainly so they could cheer us with their song. But also so that Jesus would be able to point to the birds and say, look at them. They're not anxious about their life. Your heavenly Father cares for them. Don't be anxious. Why did God create sheep? So that we'd have a picture of an innocent, pure sacrifice. So that when he said, I am the good shepherd, we would know what he meant. Why did he create angels? To be ministering spirits on our behalf. Why did he create trees? To inspire us with beauty in the fall, for sure. And to provide the timber that would suspend him between heaven and earth in the great act of redemption when he laid down his life as a sacrifice for us. Think beyond the cosmic and get real personal. You were known. You were loved. You were chosen before light shone before God hung stars in their space. God's grace was set on you. Does that make you feel really good? Awesome. Now stop. The intention isn't for you to feel good. 
It's to magnify God's grace. Paul says it three times. It's to the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glory. Before you had done anything, before you were a twinkling in anybody's eye but God's, he set his grace and affections on you in eternity past. But we experience the riches of God's grace right now in the present. On the stage of history, his grace works itself out and is applied to us, his people. And we experience the benefits of God's grace here and now. You could sum up how we experience it here and now with the words forgiven and accepted. Forgiveness is rooted in God's redemptive work in history. Yes, we were chosen in eternity. But here in history, we're blameworthy and unholy. Until redemption is accomplished and applied. Paul makes it clear what redemption means. In him you have redemption, comma, the forgiveness of sins. That's what redemption means for us. Our sins have been paid and forgiven. That guilt no longer hangs around our neck. It's no longer chains that holds us in bondage. We have been forgiven and accepted. Not just accepted, adopted as sons. That is one of Paul's favorite themes, to highlight the privileges that come with the gospel, that we are adopted as sons. In Galatians 4, he says that Christ came to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who cries, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. You're forgiven, accepted, and you have an inheritance. I think my favorite author ever, Maybe my favorite book ever is J.I. Packer, Knowing God. Profoundly impactful in my life. J.I. Packer says that adoption, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Higher even than justification. In justification, we're declared righteous before God, and that is a wonderful thing. Packer says, to be right with God as the judge is a great thing. To be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. Language of justification is legal and forensic and, frankly, kind of cold. Language of adoption is warm and affectionate. Packer says, our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. That is the highest privilege of the gospel, that you are made a son, accepted, adopted, and given an inheritance. Not disenfranchised prodigals who are welcomed begrudgingly. No. Forgiven, loved, welcomed, restored, re inherited sons. 
And that is our present reality. Already in the present, we have been forgiven. We have been adopted. In any given week, maybe you don't feel particularly blessed. Uh, Well, Paul says, remember, these are blessings that have come to you in the heavenly realms. Already in the present, before God's tribunal, you have been declared innocent and righteous. Already in God's house, you have been clothed with the pure, radiant garment of Christ's righteousness. Already he has set a seat for you at his table. Already he is preparing a room for you in his house. If you feel discouraged and defeated, Paul says, set your mind on things above. Uh, This visible world is not the sum total of reality. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly realm, already in the here and the now. But there's a future coming the perfection of God's grace in the future. Paul references the fullness of time. In the fullness of time, the heavenly realm and the earthly realm come together in Christ. God's two creations, his full universe and the whole of his church are brought together in perfect harmony, a redeemed humanity and a restored creation all under an exalted Christ. Our inheritance includes eternal life and a unified cosmos where the entire harmonious universe shall no longer contain discordant elements but is bound together in union with Christ, and where God opens the treasury of heaven, eternal joy, pleasures evermore, giving of himself fully to us, his people. That is our inheritance. What is our response to this overwhelming display of of lavish grace? Well, it certainly could be feelings of, I'm not worthy of this. And you're right. No one has ever been worthy of these gifts of grace. They are grace. But the response Paul wants, he's been trying to impress us with God's eternal grace, with how God is engaged fully, Father, Son, and Spirit, in bestowing grace on us, the response he wants is worship. Blessed be, or praise be, to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All this is for the praise of his glorious grace. You have been inundated with grace, and the proper response is worship, praise. And you're thinking, really? Our response is a worship song? Yes. 
Worship should be the soundtrack for our life. The deeper we walk into grace and acknowledge grace, the more profound our worship will be, the more constant our worship will be, not just with our lips, but with our lives. That's why Paul says, in view of God's mercies, in view of his outstanding grace, Offer your lives as a spiritual sacrifice. That's your act of worship. Would you pray with me? Father, your grace leaves us speechless. It is so lavish and yet so undeserved. It was so pricey that we could never even think about, contemplate repaying it. To do so would be to dishonor it. We don't repay this gift. We simply receive it. Uh, Father, if there are those in this room who have not yet received that gift of grace in Jesus Christ, I pray that your spirit would be working in their hearts, bringing them to you. Father, give them the courage to seek someone out, to ask questions about what it means to receive Jesus Christ by faith and how to walk in this grace. Father, we pray that our lives would be transformed by this grace. In Jesus' precious name, amen.